Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome to Sleepy Perform Repeat, episode number 58. Today we spoke to Marco Bortolami, rugby coach at Benetton Treviso and former captain of Italy, having played over 100 times for his country. Marco discusses moving to coaching from playing and all the different challenges that he has faced. Leadership identification and behavioural characteristics is talked about in depth, plus more. There was so much to take away from this episode from key themes such as decision-making skills, flow states, accountability, adaptability, and leadership. Marco says the most important muscle in the body is the brain. Big shout out to future guest and friend, Brent Hogarth from the Flow Research Collective. What a journey we have been on, brother. Grazie, Marco. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. We're joined by Marco Bortolami, and I'll hand you over to David, who will give you an instruction to this great coach. Firstly, Marco, thank you very much for coming on today. We're looking forward to hearing what high performance and leadership and all these sort of qualities mean to somebody like you. You've obviously had a very distinguished rugby career as a player, but also now as a coach. You've captained Italy. You've been capped by Italy 111 times. You've obviously played in lots of different countries at club level. You've experienced culture, playing in France, playing in England with Gloucester, and of course playing in Italy right the way from when you made your debut at 18 for your hometown Padua, right the way through to when you retired. Interesting enough, we also saw you could have worked for Ferrari. So you've had a really diverse and interesting background. So I suppose what I'd like to start with, Marco, is... What inspired you to get into coaching when you finished your playing career? Um, hello, everybody, first of all. And, uh, as a player, um, I always try to find out uh, what were the, the conditions for the people around me to, to perform as well. So um, I've been captain of the of Navy team I played with. So it's, you know it was something in my mind. And uh, as I was approaching the end of my career, um, I was looking forward, you know, to, to have the opportunity to impact even uh, even more the players uh, around me and the other people. Um, so basically, my my whole my whole objective was uh, to be involved in, a, in an organization that uh, I could I uh, could help uh, to grow. Um, I was lucky enough to to become a rugby coach, uh, but uh, I'm sure that uh, if uh, if I was involved in any other, you know, business or whatever, who knows in the future, um, I will work with uh, with people because that's what uh, you know gave me you know the passion uh, to go to go to the office in the morning and try to do my best. Very good. And kind of talk to us a little bit about the transition from obviously a successful captain player to being now a coach over the last couple of years. How did you make that? transition and did you face any challenges and how did you overcome those challenges well it's uh it's a massive challenge um 
something it's a journey that I really enjoyed um, I have to say that uh, in my last couple of years as a player I tried uh, to put myself uh, in a coach's in my coach's position and every time we were facing uh, you know something to fix uh, or a challenge as a team um, I was trying to imagine what could be the best solution as a coach and uh, you know try to work around that um, so definitely I, I, I've done my my preparation in my last couple of years as a player and then uh, you know going to coaching is uh, it looks easy it looks you know you have been uh, I have been a decent player so I was um, I was thinking okay I can uh, can you know give a lot of information to my players I can make them better very quickly and then you realize uh, it's not in your hands um, so uh, I'm changed a lot I'm changed a lot in, in these three years into coaching and uh, I've realized that uh, you know you can know everything but it's, it's all about what your players get and uh, they and what they understand um, so it's, it's more about teaching than uh, than coaching or just give them direction absolutely brilliant Marco I'd just like to touch on um, your learnings and so going into coaching looking around leagues and looking around Europe and things and even the southern hemisphere is there any of the coaches out there that you've specifically chosen or targeted to you know, almost mimic their style or there's ways they go about things that you copy their style of coaching? Um, uh, I think uh, uh, copy and paste uh, is, is not going to work. Uh, it's not going to work because uh, every team has uh, his own specifics and uh, his own culture and uh, uh, a completely unique background. Having said that, um, I think uh, we can learn from everybody, uh, from any team in the world. And uh, if I have to say some, you know, one team, uh, I was lucky enough uh, last year um, to travel to New Zealand and uh, visit uh, the Crusaders. Very good. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, a really interesting journey and uh, watching how they train, how they behave, how they connect uh, with each other was was really interesting and uh, I'm trying I'm trying uh, not to copy exactly uh, but to find ways to be as effective as they are as a group uh, with my team. Um, so yeah, if I have to say something, if I have to choose one philosophy or one, one way of doing things, uh, I will definitely, definitely mention that. Excellent. And obviously, you know, the Crusaders would be renowned for persistent and consistent excellence. But I mean, they went out and, say, brought in Ronan O'Gara, you know, different sort of background to maybe influence their culture and coaching strategy. And it, it obviously has probably reaped some dividends. And now he's going off to France again, maybe trying to earn his badges so that maybe he'll come back to Munster Ireland in time. You know, it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Everybody can learn, then it's up to you uh, to understand how to adapt things and now also to make your players to buy into uh, a new way of doing things uh, because uh, if, you, if you make uh, too many changes uh, you know, in one day, you know, the team is not going to respond and they probably resist change. But if, you, if you're smart enough uh, to make the, them realize uh, how important uh, you know, the, two things, the, the new things you want to introduce and the, you, the new way and the new behaviors you are, you're asking them, uh, then they, they can really buy into that and then 
you know uh, the outcome is is much bigger and uh, much better than what you expect. Um, so I think that's that's ability um, to understand and adapt and, and feel uh, when is the right time to make uh, these implementations uh, is key as a coach. Absolutely. And what advice would you give to a young aspiring coach? I mean, as an example, my cousin who has actually been on this podcast, my second cousin, is a former professional rugby player, and now he's in his first year as a head coach for the team he used to play for, and he, he's finding it pretty hard. So what kind of advice would you give me that I could relate to, to himself? Um, uh, first of all, uh, I think uh, as a coach, uh, um, we think it's about what we know. Uh, but at the end of the day, our experience as players uh, is in the past. And uh, the new generation we are in front, we have in front of us, are completely different. They have a completely different background. They're learning a different way, and you know they have different fears as well to perform and uh, different motivations levels. So, um, as a coach, you must understand the people around you. You must understand the players in front of you, and then uh, find the best way to connect with them, make them learn. And uh, you know the best way to motivate them. Um, if you if you try simply um, to apply um, the way we have been coached or the way we think is the best way to coach, I think is is not probably the best the way the best way of doing things. Um, so uh, you know, it's I think that's ability again uh, to understand the people around you, to understand their needs and uh, you know their their fears as well sometimes. Um, can make you uh, a better a better coach. Absolutely, excellent. Yeah. In terms of players themselves and identifying leaders, you've mentioned before about creating leaders within your team. Is there any behaviors or traits that certain players have that you identify that they could be a good leader, maybe from a young age? Mm, well, definitely, you you spot uh, who are the individuals with. Uh, with these attitudes and uh, these particular traits. Um, but I think as a coach, we have the responsibility to develop uh, um, leadership in every player. Um, because simply, simply because you never know who's uh, got to take uh, you know, the, the right decision at the right time. You know, could be your leader, but could be another player. So first of all, you know, we, we, uh, I feel this responsibility to grow every player I've got and grow the ability to lead themselves, first of all, and then the people around them. Definitely, you know, uh, some special players are in every team. And then uh, I think it's more about uh, to make them realize they have to represent a value for the other people around them. Um, so uh, very often I ask these sort of players, uh, what is their concept of leadership? And they, they came up uh, with a lot of uh, good ideas like, uh, you know, give direction or uh, you know, make the right decisions. And so it's more about them and what they can do for the team. But I try to focus them that it's about the players and the people around them and how they can make the other people perform better. Absolutely. Um, so whatever is your style, if you represent a value for the people around you, you are a great leader. Um, so and then you find your way to how to do it. And I'm, I'm just going to reiterate a tweet, a tweet that you put out there recently from Cheryl Sandberg, Marco, when you said leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that impact lasts in our absence. And I really 
acknowledge you for that. I think that's a great quote and you're obviously very much trying to bring the epitome of that to Benetton Treviso and probably each and every other sort of player that you're working with. So, that's Well, t- yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, as a leader, as a coach, you, you've got to be a leader. Um, it was the same for me um, as a player. Sometimes you lead the other people and you don't have a great feedback because they maybe, you know, they're not that open to talk to you. And then you meet these people five, ten years down the line and then they feed back to you and they tell you, you know, that's that's that year, that couple of years were very inspiring for me and your presence, the way you were doing things really inspired me to do something different. You know, sometimes leadership uh, is, uh, is a tough place uh, to be as a leader because uh, sometimes you, you find yourself alone uh, and uh, just to figure out how to fix things and how to find the best way of doing things. But I'm sure that if you think that the people around you are, you know, very important, you will find ways and then you get the reward. Uh, sooner or later, you get, uh, you get the reward that you want, which is respect, recognition and, you know, also a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, good, uh, good feelings from the other people. So would you be kind of an advocate of like a player-driven sort of culture where you're kind of trying to create leaders in your group? Is that something that you try to embed in the team you're with now? Oh, 100%. Um, uh, myself as a coach and uh, the coaches around around me, um, the staff who's working with, uh, with me at Benetton, we are trying um, to create a team that is able to make the right decisions on the field. Um, so it's very difficult <laughs> to make the right decisions if you're not coached that way, um, because us as a coaches, we can um, understand what you know what the game can be um, the next Saturday. But at the, end, at the end of the day, every game is different, and you know most of the times the, the next game is different from our preview. Um, so we got to make sure our players not only has um, uh, has the knowledge to make the right decisions, but also are confident enough you know, to make those decisions, even if they're not planned. Um, so we based a lot, our organization, a lot in the way we do things on players, and we promote this um, accountability, and uh, we put them in, in a position where they can lead the others. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect to start with, especially if the players are not used to, um, but they learn very quickly and they become uh, more effective day after day, and uh, you know they're definitely in a better in a better place to to perform well. Absolutely. Yeah, and in terms of another aspect of great and great leaderships and great coaches, one thing that's been touched on with yourself is the ability to be humble, and it was very evident after following the monster game and the the incident with the penalty, but. There was a lot of plaudits for you because you remained humble and you, you wanted to take the learnings from the game and move on. How important do you think humility is for both leaders and players, but also for coaches? Well, it's um, it's very important because uh, results you know can go your way and sometimes and uh, can go the other way. So you can't rely uh, yourself and your team and your organization simply on results uh, because uh, it's not going to work on the long term. Um, uh, I often ask uh, my players what is the difference uh, between uh, confidence and arrogance, and uh, and uh, to me is uh, be humble. Um, if you're humble and you're confident, then you put yourself in the best in the best position to perform and uh, you know to challenge also the position uh, in a good way. 
and to challenge yourself uh, every day when you go on a training field. Um, if you're arrogant, then you prevent yourself from learning from the other people and uh, find the best way of doing things. So um, be humble and uh, is, I think is uh, probably um, the quality number one we look in players. If they're not, not humble enough, we try to help them to understand the value of that. Brilliant, very good. And let's just let's just come away from that for a minute, Marco. And obviously, you've you've seen and been through a lot of changes in the game of rugby. Okay, over the last 10, 15 years, are there any changes, say, in reference to say coaching rugby that you'd maybe like to see in the next five or ten years? Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a good question. Um, I think uh, we will see. Honestly, I can I can say you know the way. The way we have been coaching has changed a lot, and uh, I coach in a completely different way. Uh, I was coached, um, so as coaches, we still got to to learn and uh, to find ways of uh, of doing things better. Um, there's a lot of research in the last few years on the mental state of the performance. Um, so I'm sure you know the flow state, which is something unexplored probably um, still still not still un, unexplored in our in our sports and rugby or in team sports especially uh, by something I think uh, in, in the very close future we'll, we will see some uh, some benefit because uh, um, the more the more you stay with the other people the more it's, it's, it's crucial that's your relationship are effective and you find ways to perform um, in, a, in the best way. And uh, the most powerful muscle in our body is our mind, our brain. And so we, there's still plenty to discover and, and find out uh, before we, 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 can, we, we can achieve uh, um, you know, our, our abilities. That's very, that's very interesting now that you kind of mentioned and you touched on mindset and flow because we have another follow-up podcast tomorrow with somebody called Rianne Doris, who works very closely to Stephen Kotler, who wrote, yeah. a, wrote a book on Rise of Superman, a book I read twice, on all about trying to tap into that flow state and how other sports like basketball, soccer, soccer rugby, American football can learn from adventure sports and how guys like skateboarders and surfers like Laird Hamilton tap into that flow state because they're always on the cusp of nearly dying at those at those really perilous states that they end up tapping into that flow state and how we can maybe harness it in in a team sport environment and that's actually the main kind of narrative as to what we want to talk to him about tomorrow evening so it's funny you touched well, on that today. yeah i know i know that book very well and i've done uh, even more research on that and uh, I can make you an example. For example, if I try um, to help my players to beat in that state, to be in that state, um, <clears throat> if my game plan is too difficult <clears throat> and they have to think about the game plan all the time to understand what they have to do, I basically prevent them to be in that uh, subconscious optimal state um, to perform well. So, for example, as a coach, if my objective, if my aim is uh, to help my players to be in that state. I've got to, I've got to you know design or to draw a very simple game plan, and then rely on their abilities to make those decisions 
at a quicker pace than the opposition. So, you know, it looks very simple, but then we are ready to make the right decisions all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, sometimes it's, it looks simple, and then you got to find practical ways to put this, this concept, uh, you know, in place. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, if you're creative enough, smart enough to understand this concept, you know, there's a lot of ways we can improve and we can, we can change the way we coach uh, the players. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And in terms of preparing for that flow state, so some people have superstitions before games or they might have certain behaviours that they use a lot and often. What were your behaviours before games? What got you into that flow state to perform? Um, uh, I wasn't lucky enough uh, to know that uh, while I was playing, but definitely um, in the second part or in the last part of my career, I was experienced enough, you know, to be relaxed and, uh, you know, to rely on my abilities and my confidence to perform well. And so definitely the last part of my career, I can recall, for example, my 100 game for Italy, uh, we were playing Wales in the Millennium Stadium and it was you know, one of the best games that I enjoyed the most in my life because I was experienced enough, you know, to feel the atmosphere and then to be relaxed enough to perform on the field. Um, mm. So, you know, it's uh, I, something, if I look back, uh, I would have knew before I stopped playing. But um, I think, first of all, uh, if we talk about mindset, about ability, um, to focus for the game. Um, we all know that we need uh, an element of, uh, of pressure to perform because we, we, need the, we need to know what we do is important, but then we need to be relaxed and uh, believe we can do the task uh, in front of us. So it's, it's all about to find that the right balance between these two opposites. And... Uh, the difficult thing is that uh, every person is different. So if I try to apply my balance, which is, uh, I just throw you some numbers, 40% yeah. pressure and 60% you know, confidence is going to work for me, but maybe for you it's different. Maybe you need that 20% pressure and 80% confidence. So um, when I speak with my players, when I try to work on these this sort of things with them, um, I tell them they need to know themselves. So we try, um, I make questions, I make them understand and think about the persons, their background, what is fear for them, what is confidence and uh, what is the right balance. And the more they know themselves, the more, the more they are in a position where they can find the right balance and then uh, go out and perform. Brilliant. And I'd just like to, to build on it before we go back to Kieran. We had another fellow on a couple of weeks ago by the name of Jimmy Hensel, who works with a lot of military and high-performing sort of CrossFit and powerlifters in, based out of Tennessee. And he touched on something when he asked, he asked me actually two minutes into the podcast, he said, David, now, were you, were you ready for today or were you prepared? Were you ready or prepared for this podcast? You know, did you visualize, did you think of the sort of breathing pattern you could have? Were you stressed? Did you try to really put yourself in the environment before you were asking me this sort of questions? And it really made me think about oftentimes when players, athletes, businessmen, chief execs are put into scenarios that are they, are they really adequately prepared? So they're much, much more than just ready and kind of harnessing 
the physicality, but also very much how important the mind is behind all that. It's very interesting. Well, yeah, definitely you're, 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 you're right. And uh, preparation is key. Um, preparation is very important. But then you've got to be prepared to adapt um, because things are not perfect. And, you know, as coaches as well, too many times uh, we, we coach the perfect game, the perfect move. But then in the game, it's not going to be perfect. So um, we basically are try, we are um, making our players chasing something that is not going to happen in the game. And that creates stress. If something is not happening, is not happening the way you expect to happen, and you're not prepared to adapt, and you're, you're not prepared to accept that perfection is not going to happen, and is you know your ability to adapt is going to be to make a, a game or a move perfect. Uh, you know, is these sort of things create you a lot of stress, and then you you focus on in the past and what's what went wrong. You find try to find solution instead instead of being the moment. Um, so the way we we coach, the way we train, the way we accept things are are very important to be you know in that uh, in that in that position and be ready to perform. But definitely preparation is uh, is very important. Perfect. I think that rolls nicely into a series of questions we ask every all of our guests on and um, especially former rugby players and and athletes at the highest level in the uk across europe and the, the us and we the three of them are we go through them but we have different sort of answers coming across from all all of our guests and one of the areas that you've mentioned on there is the second question which is if marco if you're in a situation where you find there's been an, a mistake or something hasn't gone your way what do you do to reframe, to get back into focus so you can achieve with the next task or undertaking? Well, um, first of all, <clears throat> um, we were talking about preparation. So I prepare myself um, to be in that position. Uh, so I'm not expecting everything to be perfect. Um, definitely I take a step back. And uh, as a coach, it's be easier because we are off the field. Um, but uh, my players are trained to do the same on the field, so we need to take a step back from the situation, be clear with our mind, and find what we are wrong. Then move on, find a solution, and move on to the next uh, to the next task. Um, so, too many times where there's a problem or where there's a challenge or something goes wrong, we want to do straight away things and we want to find the solution. Yeah. Which you know something is going to work. But uh, sometimes you're not clear enough, uh, you know, to understand uh, what went wrong. Um, so we try to promote a lot of uh, calm, calm during the sessions. If we see players frustrated because something, um, we we try, you know, to help them to realize, you know, the more they 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 are calm, the more they are um, in the best situation to make the right decision in the next play. Brilliant. The second question then we'll move on to is about, you've worked across a lot of cultures. What creates a high performance culture? Um, uh, I think uh, um, it's a mixture of, uh, of a lot of things. Um, if I have to tell you, so, from a technical point of view, yeah. I think uh, the quality of uh, disagreement in your organization is very important. And when I say quality of disagreement, I mean, you got to be prepared to challenge the status quo, to challenge the other people thinking in a good way, 
Um, but that's the only characteristics that can take you as an organization to keep going forward and keep evolving and changing uh, because the, the game is going to change. So you got to, you got to keep challenging the way you're doing things. Um, from a mental point of view, I think, uh, you know, relations are very important. And uh, when, I, when I say relations, uh, relations, um, I'm saying, you know, we know that uh, when the big decision to be made is very easy because, uh, you know, because the values you have established, because uh, most of the times on a big matters, there's the right thing and, and the wrong thing to, to be done. So it's, it's, it's fairly easy. What's, what is very important in an organization is that the small decisions every day, the small relationships, um, breaks on, on on little things that happens day, day in, day out. Um, so in the medium and long term, the more you keep an eye on the on the relationship between the persons around you and on little things, the more you are in the best position to keep being effective in that in that sort of stuff. Great answer. Um, and then moving to yourself, what are the three areas of focus that you're looking at now and at the moment in your life? It's uh, definitely to find the right balance uh, in my life from, uh, you know, my job and my family life and uh, my, my hobbies uh, because uh, I believe if you feel good, you can perform better as a coach, as a player, as a father. So the feelings and uh, if you don't feel happy, we need to find out, you know, and find the right balance which is different from every person because as I said before, we are all different. Um, but we got to feel we are in peace with ourselves, first of all, and then we can represent the value for the people around us. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working a lot on myself and uh, on the people around me um, to make them realize this is very important. Okay, and we're nearly there, Marco, but I'd like to ask a couple more little questions. If you had to give myself and Kieran and our listeners a life lesson that you've learned from your personal life or from your professional career in rugby, what would that lesson to give the two of us today be? That's a, that's a difficult, difficult question. I think uh, as a young player, um, I the biggest lesson I had is that uh, um, we got to chase you know, our best every day and uh, there's a lot of ways we can do that it uh, doesn't matter if you are on a rugby field doesn't matter if we are painting our house so doesn't matter what we're doing um, that attitude to really do our best is what that create the conditions for us to be successful uh, whatever we do um, and then if i have to say now that i'm a fairly experienced Definitely an experienced player because I stopped playing. But uh, you know, a, a coach uh, is uh, to accept that uh, things are not going your way all the time, and but there's always a new challenge, uh, you know, behind the door, the next door. Um, so accepting, you know, things that can happen, accepting that things can go wrong, um, but it's not a failure; it's just a learning, and then you move on. And, and can you relive your? first rugby memory for the two of us um it's uh it's definitely my first try with the italian team uh, 
I was playing New Zealand in New Zealand, in wow. Hamilton. Uh, it was uh, my first game as an Italian captain. I was uh, 21 years old. Nice. And uh, I intercepted the ball and I scored a 50 meters, uh, 50, 50 meters try. So, you know, I can recall every single step, every single feeling. <laughs> I've got goose, goosebumps now in uh, my skin just, uh, you know, looking <laughs> through that again. Um, so it's something special that uh, I think uh, gave me that spark again. To chasing, you know, something special uh, in my my rugby career. Pretty good for a second row, Marco. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, and last question: the IRB phoned us today in Dublin. I don't know if you did. You see it on the news? They they've changed yeah. they've changed yeah. the game of rugby from a fifteen man game to a three man game. Okay, so you've played with a lot of illustrious players through your career jokers super backs captains played in the barbarians you played in three world cups if you had to select three players that you've played with one has to be a forward obviously one has to be a back and one can be a nine or ten who makes your three as the coach uh as a forward definitely Lawrence Dallaglio um wasp he was one uh, one of my heroes um when I was young and I was lucky enough to play against him in the Premiership and to play with him uh, with the Barbarians uh, team. So uh, I think it, it represents probably the essence of rugby. Uh, he's a tough one, tough person, uh, but he's a nice person. So <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a perfect example of the, the prototype of, of, of the rugby player I like. Um, Back, uh, I say um, Brendan Williams is uh, an Aussie seven. He yeah, play yeah. a lot of seven and play fullback uh, in Australia and in Italy as well. I was uh, was uh, I played with him and against him, and uh, he was uh, very small, but he was one of the best player I play against and with. And uh, you know his ability to attack space and uh, tackle hard if needed. Uh, it was unbelievable and uh, you know that's a perfect example that you don't need to be big or you don't need to be you know um uh, the strongest man in the world to play to play the game of rugby i think is that's that's a perfect example and uh nine and ten uh, um let me think about it oh it's uh yeah um i have to say carlos spencer um oh because, what a player um, yeah all right what a player yeah He's, uh, you know, he's uh, such a talented player, an instinctive player, and uh, I played with him uh, six months when uh, when he came to Gloucester, and I have to say he's probably the most professional player I, I've, I've played with, and uh, to see that, uh, you know, I didn't know him before he joined Gloucester, and uh, to see how he behaved uh, in the changing room and the preparation of the training, his attitude was unbelievable. So we talk about humble, to be humble, for example, uh, um, you know, in the previous questions, he was probably the most professional and humble player uh, I've played with, even if he was one of the, you know, he is one of the, the most recognizable player in the world. Yeah. So, Mr. Delalio, Mr. Spencer and Mr. Williams, you heard it here first. Marco, has you chosen? I think you better choose him in your best three as well. Marco, thank you very much for coming on today. You're obviously a man very much synonymous with many things, leadership, high performance, cultural excellence, adaptability. You've proven that throughout a very distinguished career as a player, but now as a coach. 
and from Dublin here, myself and Kieran just are saying thank you very much. We're grateful you came on today, gave us your time, and we're wishing you all the best moving forward for family, yourself, and the rest of your coaching career. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very, much. very much. Cheers, Mark. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you.